Christmas, Christmas, come check out my wish list. Have I been a good boy? That's none of your business. I just want some good toys. Can I get a witness? Got all of my homies yelling Christmas, 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 Christmas. Come check out my wish list. Have I been a good boy? That's none of your business. I just want some good toys. Can I get a witness? Got all of my homies yelling Christmas, Christmas. Okay, hey guys, welcome to Consume, podcast by me, Burton Olivier, where I talk about all the things I consume with the main framework being my Watch Movie Every Day Challenge for 2021, and it's also like my daily diary. We're entering the second week of our Christmas Movie Chronicles, and the 50th week of the podcast. Only two more actual episodes left. Weird. Um, I'm sure I'll talk more about that later. Uh, let's see, today is... Friday, the 11th, uh, didn't do too much today, it's fucking 48 degrees in Los Angeles right now, according to my phone, so I am fucking freezing, I need to go buy, like, uh, sweatpants that have, like, extra heat stuff in them or something, I don't know, I'm suffering, uh, <laughs> uh, what do we do today, Dexter wants to get more ear piercings, now he has two, Dexter's my brother, um, now he has two holes in each ear, so I drove him there, we came back, we got Burger King, and then we watched our first movie of today. We watched Spider-Man 3 from 2007, and ugh, it is it is as rough as you remember it. Uh, it's just very clunky. There's so much going on. You got Spider-Man and Mary Jane, like, more relationship, mis- like, communication drama throughout the whole thing, and, like, them not, like, fully explaining things to each other, which is always frustrating for me. Uh, you got fucking Harry Osborn and his whole new goblin thing where he is becoming the hobgoblin and puts himself through the goblin serum and revising his whole look so he kind of looks like a sky snowboarder with, like, rad blades <laughs> all over him. Uh, then you have Sandman, played by Thomas Hayden Church, uh, who was, like, the one good part of this movie. Like, actually good. It's, it's a shame that they wasted him on, uh this movie and this script uh he's gonna be in the new one though as part of the sinister six so that's pretty cool but and then there's the whole venom plot that like i was surprised i didn't remember it takes them like over a fucking hour for him to even get like they they see the symbiote coming to earth pretty early in the movie but then it doesn't actually get on him until well after an hour into the movie then you have the whole weird dark confident peter parker scene with him like dancing through the streets and like making eyes at every woman he sees and the whole uh dance scene in the jazz club with gwen stacy to make uh mary jane jealous which bryce Dallas howard as gwen stacy good casting another uh shame was wasted on this and then the symbiote doesn't like separate from peter and then go on to eddie brock played by topher grace uh until like there's 30 minutes left in the movie there's just so much jammed in there it's unnecessary and just not handled very well and Topher grace i mean love that 70 show buddy but not great for this part especially like the like nowhere near the look of the comic book character which you don't need like i guess tom hardy has proved that you don't need to be big buff eddie brock but it was just it just didn't work topher grace actually came to the luau i worked at back home in hawaii uh a girl asked for an autograph and he said no <laughs> that's all i remember uh thought it was annoying of him at the time but i get it i understand uh you're on vacation you don't want to deal with that shit uh and yeah like some of the 
action sequences are good and things look fun, but like Spider-Man 3 is a 2.5. It's just right down the middle, average, nothing great, and a lot of cringy shit in there, uh, which is unfortunate. And then later, uh, after Dexter watched, saw a Penguins game, I think, we watched The Amazing Spider-Man from 2012 with Andrew Garfield as Spider-Man, directed by Mark Webb. Uh, and, uh, you got, what's her name, as Gwen Stacy, Emma Stone, Dennis Leary as her dad, uh, and this, uh, is good. Maybe it's, like, it's kind of lacking in, like, the overall story, like, strength of story, but when it comes to the characterization of Peter Parker and just the overall vibe, uh, much, I much prefer this to the Sam Raimi movies. Like, Peter is supposed to be a nerd, yes, but I don't think he's supposed to be, like, so painfully awkward. He still has friends and, like, goes on dates with girls and is not, like, a complete total weirdo. Um, but yeah, I like Andrew Garfield's, like, his look is great for Peter. He's, like, just enough of a nerd and just, like, enough confident with himself to make it work. I really like the addition of making, uh... Peter like a skateboard kid because it's like something he can practice on his own so he doesn't need like friends which is good for the character and also it really it makes it makes it make so much more sense whenever he gets his powers and he starts like swinging around that he like knows his uh body and like knows how to move because like Peter Parker dork who doesn't play sports or ever do anything suddenly gets like this amazing body it would be like hard for him to learn how to move well even though he has like the right (laughs) muscles and everything you know what i mean it just makes sense like making him a skateboarder and someone who like knows how to move uh and yeah and like the rest of the like the movie the story is pretty good it's not bad uh you got the whole lizard thing uh first time we're seeing the lizard i know we're getting the lizard in no way home but i don't know which one me and dexter were talking about this i'm sure i could look it up but i'm not going to i'm gonna let the movie surprise me um i guess because this is the only lizard we actually see in the movies though there is the kurt connors in the raimi movies so you know whatever um i really like the bit where when peter was looking for the lizard in the sewers he like found a hub of the sewer and like sent out lines and then like laid in the middle of the web and like waited for things to like uh hit the wires and so he could feel the vibrations and know like where to go like an actual spider i like that that's fun i also really like the uh corny new yorkers rallying to help spider-man scene in this uh so like because, like, you know, through the movie, he actually, like, ingratiates himself with uh, New Yorkers pretty well. But then, like, a kid he saves in the movie, early in the movie, is the son of this guy who's a crane operator. And there's a part where Spider-Man needs to get to Oscorp uh, Tower at the end to, like, save the day. But he's all injured and there's no good way to swing to it. So this guy somehow re- recognizes the problem, realizes that Spidey needs help getting to the tower so he calls all his other crane operator buddies on different work sites and has them coordinate and swing their cranes out over 6th street so that spider-man has a clear (laughs) um clear points to uh, to web swing from uh it's pretty funny and so yeah amazing spider-man uh i'm gonna give four stars based mostly off of vibe alone uh we'll see i'm interested to watch uh, amazing spider-man 2 because like for some reason it's like stuck in my mind that after i watched amazing spider-man 2 the first time i went on facebook and like made a status that said that it was the best comic book movie ever made <laughs> uh so we'll see if i still feel that way when we get to it
later this week. Uh, but before we end today's session, uh, today's Christmas movie. The whole reason we're here this uh, month for the Christmas movie chronicles, it was supposed to just be one Christmas movie a day, but it's just turned into double features every day. I reviewed 19 movies last week, which is insane. It's supposed to <laughs> just be seven. Uh, but anyway, so today's Christmas movie is a French movie. It's uh, a lot of different titles. It was in France. It's 36.15 Père Noël or Dial Code Santa Claus, or Hide and Freak, or Deadly Games, or Game Over, um, and the, uh, 36.15, it's like, that's apparently French, uh, 411, you know, like, information line, so I watched this, it's like a horror movie, and so I watched it in the context of Joe Bob's, Joe Bob Saves Christmas, uh, Last Drive-In special from last year, uh, and I'm glad I did, it provided a lot of uh, I feel necessary context for this movie because if you don't know much about like French Christmas traditions or some stuff that just feels off and also explain it because this movie is from 1989 and the whole like conceit or like the thing that gets the ball rolling is that there's this kid who is the son of a woman who's like the head of a big uh, department store chain in France uh, that's apparently a real chain. I'm not going to try it. It's like print temps or something. I don't know. Uh, but he still believes Santa is real and he wants to be the first kid to see him. And so there's like a, on these old computers, there's like a chat room you can go to, to like for kids to talk to Santa. And it's supposed to be just uh, like a bot responding to these kids. But somehow this like weird Zach Galifianakis looking motherfucker uh, goes into an internet like kiosk. There's sirens happening behind me i'm sure you can hear it i'm just talking through it because i don't feel like stopping um <laughs> uh so he goes he's at this kiosk called a minitel and you can uh like apparently like use like an internet payphone back in the day which i was surprised at like how much there were like message boards in 1988 and 89 and uh and so this guy goes onto the kiosk and he like somehow gets on the other end of the bot and he starts actually talking to this kid. And he doesn't quite get his address, but he learns that his mom works at this store because uh, the kid mentions that his mom works there for some fucking reason. Oh, because she has his letter to Santa. And so, and this guy, we had seen him like try to jump into the middle of a fight, a snowball fight with some kids, but they all run away. And then he goes to the store and he like applies to be a Santa and then he gets like inappropriate with a girl like rubs her face too much it's weird i don't know and then he gets fired but then he learns that the kid's mom is the one that fired him and then she has a bunch of toys being shipped to his, the kid's house so he like jumps in the shipment and goes there and the kid lives in this giant mansion with all these like crazy rooms he has every like toy imaginable already and he like is real good with computers he has this whole like uh security system set up and like a big like wristwatch computer that you can watch the monitors on and he likes to dress up like full like rambo commando style like fake toys and like fake like bullet bandoliers and like paint on his face and stuff and so this is how he's waiting for santa with his like security system and his commando outfit uh but then he, and he gets santa but he gets in the form of this like fucking weirdo who uh snuck into the shipment kills the caretakers of the house and then it just becomes like uh, a whole like cat and mouse game throughout the whole house of this like weirdo and there's like a real creepy scene of him like spray painting his hair and beard white <laughs> and um 
and you know, just chasing him all through this crazy house that has like a maze and like a weird big like abandoned toy room that somehow the mom doesn't know about. Uh, I don't know. And like the whole tone of this movie, since it's from the 80s and like the music and the, the production, it all feels kind of soft and light. Like the lighting all feels, it's like almost like dream lighting the whole time. And like not quite soft focus, but like almost. And the music is very 80s. There's like even a knockoff Eye of the Tiger at one point. Um, so it all feels pretty like light, but this is like one of the darkest things <laughs> I feel like I've seen because this guy this like guy who's like Santa in the house he's like we can't tell if he's like a serial killer or like a pedophile or uh like a weird stunted like man child doesn't realize what he's doing um because he does some like fucked up like this is one of the if you if you don't like movies where a dog gets killed don't watch this movie uh it's one of the first things he does in the house <laughs> um and like the kid sees it and it's just brutal and I'll just fucking spoil everything. Who cares? Uh, Because at the end, like when he finally catches the kid after all of this uh, shit happens, he just says like, I win, you lose. Now it's my turn to hide. Count to 20 and no cheating. So like, even though he's going around killing all these people, this is all just like a weird game in his head with this kid. He just wants to play with this kid. It's very creepy. Uh, Speaking of weird kids, I'm not sure if you can could hear it, but my landlord's kid was just talking outside my door we'll see I'm not, if i can edit it out i doubt it uh i'm not sure if you can hear it but like it's fucking 1 a.m these i don't know what these kids bedtimes are they're always up talking and i can hear it perfectly through my thin ass door uh anyways where was it so yeah so this guy is just very unsettling the whole thing like this guy just ruined <laughs> the rest of this kid's life just because at the end like, after he gets his comeuppance, and, like, the last line of the movie is, like, the kid saying, like, it's all my fault, I wanted to see Santa Claus, and, like, it, it is his fault. If he didn't go in that chat room, if he would have just been chill about the whole Santa thing, uh, this wouldn't have happened, probably. So, it's real fucked up. A lot of people, uh, apparently, like, the big controversy with this movie is that it came out before Home Alone, and so a lot of people think that Home Alone copied this movie, which... I can see it is about a kid, like a cute kid, setting up apps for a guy who like breaks into the house and the guy becomes more and more haggard as the movie goes on and like roughed up like the wet bandits do. But I think just because since the vibe is so life or death in this movie, you can like feel it and how fucked up it is. It doesn't quite feel like Home Alone to me, but I get it. It does give me like uh, diehard vibes. Mostly because the kid is, like, dressed as an action hero. He gets hurt more and more as he goes on. He ends up, like, just, like, limping. And, like, the setting, like, this big mansion feels like Nakatomi Plaza with all its different levels. And there's even, like, a boiler room and, like, catwalks and stuff that he walks past at one point. Um, So, yeah. uh, Fucking dial code Santa Claus. I'm gonna give four stars. It's a it's a fucked up movie, but I really enjoyed this watch. It's very interesting. I I definitely highly recommend this if you like uh weird, uh brutal shit. Um also watching it in the uh the Joe Bob framework was nice, even if it did take an eighty seven minute movie and turn it into a two and a half hour experience. But anyways, that's enough for today. I'll I'll see you tomorrow. Okay, hey guys. It is Saturday. My sense of time is all screwy today. I keep thinking it's Sunday or something. Uh, I also feel like I have like a mild brain fog today. It's just like nothing seems like it's quite 
settling. It wasn't a bad day though. It just feels off. Keep thinking about jobs and money and about how much I don't want to work. But I'm getting to that point where my uh, bank account, I need to start worrying about how much is left in my bank account. Can't just live off of my credit cards forever. But we still have our rent paid until February, so I don't need to worry too much. It's just frustrating not hearing, any, hearing anything from any of the jobs that I've applied to. I was talking to a friend about it today, and she was saying that I should look into being a pharmacy tech, because it's not bad. Not, not I, think she, I think that's what she does, and it's like not the hardest job, decent pay. I never would have thought of it. It's not a bad idea. I don't know if I want to do it, but, you know, it's not a bad option. Uh, anyways... Today's movies. First one, I did a uh, did my action movie, Christmas movie, double feature. Uh, the first one kind of suffered from that brain fog feeling I mentioned earlier. I didn't feel like I gave it enough attention, which might have been like the way I watched it. It was a uh, I watched P- Passenger Fifty Seven from nineteen ninety two, and uh, it's not streaming anywhere, and I couldn't find it on at the library in their system, so I had to watch it. Uh, I watched it using like the you know, I found it on Daily Motion, actually, uh, which was nice. One of the one of the better ways to uh, semi illegally stream something. Uh, so I was watching it on my laptop, and like as I was eating, and then like talking on the group chat the whole time or the Discord. Uh, so maybe not enough attention paid to this movie, but it's it's a good movie still. Yeah, Wesley Snipes playing a uh, airline security, uh, expert, and I think my, what I thought this movie was is different from what it actually is. I think I thought for some reason that the title referred to, like, a practice where, uh, anytime there's an air marshal on the plane, like, any plane he's on, he's, like, passenger 57. It's kind of, like, code for the air marshal or whatever, but no, uh, Wesley Snipes just happens to be a airline security expert who is being hired by this fancy uh airline and he's on a plight and he is passenger 57 on a plane that just so happens to be uh bringing this like top 10 fbi most wanted terrorist named uh charles rain uh they call him the rain of terror and so he just happens to be on the plane at the same time as wesley snipes and and then it turns out that like he has a whole crew of like henchmen there who are there to break him out while they're in the sky, including a very young uh, Elizabeth Hurley, who I, I did not recognize while I was watching it. And then it becomes like Die Hard on a Plane with Wesley Snipes as the uh, Bruce Willis. And um, I don't know, it's fun. The whole like uh, heist and the way that, I guess it is not really a heist, but like the whole plot is fun. Uh, Wesley Snipes dealing with all these guys, doing his fucking martial arts. It's pretty sick. <laughs> they throw in a, a shot of like, I can't remember the full context with the getting, but like showing like Wesley Snipes meditating in front of like an orb with some incense playing. So like to let you know that he has some serious dedication to like the martial arts or some shit. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. It's just a cool, it's a good take on a diehard, on the diehard formula. Uh, Wesley Snipes is great as always. He's just like, he's like almost the perfect action guy. He's just like, he's good at physical stuff. You believe he's a badass. You believe he's cool. And you believe that like, because all these older action movies have like all the women fawning over the lead guy. And with Wesley Snipes, you believe it. They would. <laughs> um, and yeah, then you throw in some like, at one point, like the plane is forced to land because Wesley Snipes like 
cut the fuel line or some shit uh forces them to land in louisiana and like wesley gets knocked off the plane and then like the cops catch him and they think that he's like one of the they won't listen to him and to the fact that he's like a good guy in this so you get some like still very relevant like racial politics with wesley snipes and the louisiana police and what else there's a romance with wesley and one of the flight attendants that's like not necessary but you still appreciate it being there uh the main bad guy playing charles rain who is actually uh bruce payne this is a joke i'm stealing directly from the uh action boys episode about this but it's uh it's funny that it's bruce payne playing charles rain on a plane good one right um (laughs) uh he's pretty good his character is just like a full-on psychopath and like it's fun his his performance is fun but it didn't like it didn't like really grab me which i guess is a way to describe this whole movie fun really fun really cool didn't like fully grab me so you know passenger 57 3.5 stars and then for today's christmas movie i was i wasn't really sure what movie i wanted to watch i was trying to like feel the vibe i wanted then i went to tubi to see what i had saved in my watch list for christmas stuff and i happened to just like there's that you when you bring up tubi it like first brings you to like the trending now titles or whatever and so i was like all right let's see what people are watching for christmas and at the end of the list there's this movie trapped in paradise from 1994 and it had nick cage john lovitz and dana carvey listed as the main uh guys and that sounded interesting to me so i watched it uh and i was pleasantly surprised this is a fun movie it's nice so the three actors i just mentioned they're all brothers and nick cage is like the straight-laced one and john lovitz and dana carvey are like both like low time like small time crooks and they just get out of prison and they draw their brother into this plot that they had heard about this guy in prison rants about this bank in this small town of Pennsylvania called Paradise that's like really easy to rob. So they like manipulate their brother into helping them come to this bank robbery. And you know, they go, they do the robbery, and then they end up, there's a snowstorm and they can't get out because of the cops. Uh, so they get trapped in paradise and they end up like at the house of the guy who owns the bank uh who also be happens to be the house that's like fostering are the daughter of the crook the like big time crook that they overheard this plot in prison where john lovitz and dana carvey learned about this job uh and so like they end up there the family's really nice to them and like takes them in doesn't suspect them of being the robbers even though there are three white guys they've never seen before in town um but there's a lot of tourists in town for the winter fest so you know easy mistake to make uh, and they end up like becoming endeared with this whole family and wonder if they did the right thing or not uh yeah it's just uh it's a solid little christmas movie they do like the heartwarming stuff pretty well uh the jokes like the comedy it mostly still hits which i was kind of surprised for a movie from 1994 that i'd never heard of with john lovitz and dana carvey like it could go either way john lovitz he's supposed to be like the shit bag of the movie and it works because you know john lovitz is kind of a shit bag uh but his jokes are still funny dana carvey is doing like a weird mickey rourke impression the entire time uh that should get annoying but I, I I think I liked it the whole way through. Uh, Nick Cage's performance is good because he throws in those little moments of like turning the emotion like way up whenever he doesn't need to. They kind of it works for his for this character to show that like he's also kind of unhinged like his brothers. Um, yeah. So you know, great Nick Cage moments. Uh, and you know, I wasn't I was paying more attention to this one, but I wasn't paying the most. So I definitely feel like I 
sure and rewatch it at some point, but it's like a movie I feel like I want to rewatch. Like this will go, I think, into the um the Christmas movie rotation every year, you know? Uh definitely not the top of the list, but definitely one that will be fun to revisit. Um so yeah, Trapped in Paradise, uh I'll give four stars. Nice, surprisingly solid movie. And yeah, uh, that's it for today. We'll we'll see you tomorrow. Okay, hey guys. It is Sunday. Didn't do too much today. I went on two walks. Very exciting. I just like this morning around like, well, I guess it wasn't morning. I think it was around like 11. I just felt like I needed to move. So I went for a walk. And then after I watched the first movie, I did another quick walk before the sunset. I don't know. I just need to start doing something. My being uh, so fat. <laughs> now is uh, really getting to me I'm really like noticing how hard it is to move and exist the way i wish i could you know and it's a real motivation killer when it comes to like if i'm ever gonna start dating again whatever i don't really want to talk about this <laughs> right now um so let's get into the movies so you know planned my usual uh action movie christmas movie was the that was the plan but today, the action movie turned out to be a Christmas movie, which is fun. Uh, I watched Invasion USA <laughs> from 1985. It's a Canon Films movie starring Chuck Norris, uh, directed by Jeffrey Zito. Zito. And of all of the secret Christmas action movies that I have seen, uh, this is the most insane and, like, brutal and over-the-top. <laughs> so, it's about, uh, this Russian guy, um, Mikhail Rostov. He has a plan to, like, invade Miami in Florida with a group of, like, guerrillas and rebels from, like, Latin America and some, like, Russians and stuff, uh, in order to attack the U.S., but the way they do it is, like, they pretend to be institutions that people trust so they can, like, sow unrest in America. Like, the movie starts with a group of, like, Cuban refugees uh, on, like, a boat where the motor's not working and they're trying to, like, get to uh, Miami. And then the, the bad guys pull up and they're all dressed like the Coast Guard, which, like, I don't know if they would really want to see the Coast Guard, but, like, they try to act all friendly and then they, uh, the Russian and his guys just mow down everyone and there's like multiple kids on this boat and then uh this part i didn't quite get it doesn't really come back later well kind of they like take off a panel at the bottom of the boat like apparently some guy they had captured before told them about this boat coming and they took off the panel at the bottom and there was just so much cocaine like the amount of cocaine that i feel like if you were trying to smuggle that much cocaine you would want to do it in a more reliable fashion than a beat up boat full of refugees that part didn't make sense to me uh i don't know and it only really comes back because later the russian guy for some reason he goes to meet up with like a coke dealer and this is like one of the most brutal scenes so he's like meeting up with this coke dealer for some reason i don't know if he's just trying to get his money for all the coke to like fund his rebels so he's there with this like skeevy looking uh coke dealer that we he's in i recognize from other stuff but whatever and he has a girl there with him who's like testing the coke 
And she's using one of those little like glass straws to like snort it. And our bad guy, just to show how evil he is, uh, slams the woman like in the back of the head, slams her head down to the table, forcing the straw up her nose. And he grabs the Coke dealer, shoves him against the wall and like shoves his gun down his waistband and like shoots his dick off. And then he grabs the woman because she's screaming and throws her out of the window. I can't, I don't remember how or why this ties into my, the major plot, but it was just to show how evil this Rostov is. And, um, and like I said, like the rest of their plan is like, they show up dressed, like some of the militia guys show up dressed as cops to a like gathering of like Cubans, like partying and they like shoot and mow down all these Cubans, and leave some alive so they'll attack the real cops who come later. They fucking... <laughs> uh, oh, I, I guess I should, uh, Chuck Norris, he's in this and he's like, a. Uh, a swamp, a swamp man. I mean, like the opening shots are of him on a fan boat and of him like wrestling an alligator to put into a crate with his friend John Eagle, who's like an even older uh, swamp man. And apparently Chuck Norris, who's playing Mark Hunter, or no, wait, Matt Hunter, uh, was a CIA agent. And this uh, CIA guy comes and tries to call him back in, but he's like, no, you should let me kill Rostov whenever I had the chance. He's your problem now. But then Rostov decides that he needs to kill him, so he, like, him and his crew show up on more fan boats and blow up Chuck Norris's house, but he, like, gets away, of course. And the whole movie is just, like, jumping from action set piece to action set piece, following Chuck Norris, trying to stop these, uh, guys from committing these, like, acts of terror. But he doesn't, like, quite get there in time for a lot of them. Uh, like, this is where the, uh, Christmas comes in. So there's, like, a neighborhood, and there's, like, a whole, like, bustling full of people, and there's, like kids like this family they're decorating a tree out in their yard they're getting to this like cute argument about who's gonna put the star on the tree and there's like some kids playing like soccer or whatever and then some like teenagers like making out in a car and then <laughs> the fucking you know just real americana and then uh, a flatbed truck comes up with rostov and a couple of those guys and they all have bazookas and they just start blowing up this neighborhood and there's like actual explosions this was a neighborhood that was going to be demolished for an extension for the airport, so they let them just actually blow up these houses, which is rad. It's just Christmas trees on fire, building explode, and then, like, a guy with a Christmas present bomb goes to a shopping mall to, like, leave in the middle of a store, uh, you know, so he can blow up all these Americans when doing their capitalism but of course chuck norris gets there and he doesn't get there before the bomb blows up but he gets there to like try and stop these guys because he interrogated some guy who i don't know how he was connected to all of this but he he interrogated him by like stabbing him through the hand and this is where he has the great line uh to some other guy who's hassling them while he's torturing this guy he's like i'm gonna give you so many rights that you'll be begging for a left great line chuck norris doesn't talk much in this movie uh, i think he purposely did not write himself much dialogue and i think he was going for like a stoic like kind of uh cowboy thing you know clint eastwood man with no name kind of thing uh but he just comes across as kind of wooden but all the action looks great and he looks great doing the action he like barrels <laughs> into the fucking mall with his truck knocking over trees and shit uh what else is there there's a part where like a, the bad guys were gonna blow up a school bus full of children but thankfully chuck norris is there to like drive up and grab the c4 off the bus and then drive speed up and like plant the c4 on the bad guy's car and blow them up instead 
But while he was doing this, a carnival got attacked, and who knows how many people got killed at this carnival. <laughs> and so he comes up with this like ridiculous plan that they don't really explain of like he's gonna get captured and like publicly on the news so the bad guys know where he is and bring him to this building, but it's like actually an empty building surrounded by the army to like capture these guys. I don't know. There's like a whole there's also a whole thing about how all this terror is like been causing like so much civil unrest and like there's martial law and uh it's wild stuff, but they like, they purposely, in the IMDb, it says they purposely cut out any scenes that didn't have uh, Chuck Norris or action in them. So, like, all the explanations and character backgrounds for anyone else in the story, nowhere in the movie. Like, there's a woman reporter who is somehow at every one of these scenes isn't explained. She seems like she's going to be a potential love interest for Chuck Norris, but no, uh, <laughs> nothing happens there. Uh, and then the movie ends with an actual uh, bazooka duel, and Chuck Norris just blowing up the bad guy with a bazooka, and then it just cuts to a pick uh, Chuck Norris's face looking real uh, stoic, wooden, and credits. No like <laughs> aftermath, nothing. Uh, so yeah, definitely not like a Christmas movie in like the spirit of uh, you know it's not like a Christmas movie. Whatever, you know what I'm trying to say. Uh, but like the Christmas imagery during the action is fucking great. I loved it. I'm definitely gonna like this is gonna be a rewatch just for for that and for the uh all the insane action and um it is a very american movie which kind of means christmas right <laughs> uh i don't know i don't i don't know why i need to justify this um but yeah invasion usa i'm gonna give 3.5 stars it's a fun time uh and then this turning out to be a christmas movie uh actually works out great because my second movie i went ahead and watched uh, another action movie that the action boys are going to be covering tomorrow. And I'm excited to hear them listen or to listen to them cover this. Cause this is a very weird movie. It's much weirder than I thought it was going to be. I watched Remo Williams, the adventure begins also from 1985. Uh, and yeah, so it's about Fred Ward, who is a cop, a New York cop who, uh, is sitting in his car, you know, enjoying his like coffee and a sandwich or something. He noticed some hoodlums like roughing up a guy in the uh in this abandoned warehouse so he goes in there he tries to stop them they all turn on him it was a setup and he finally beats the shit out of all of them but then when he gets back in his car some mysterious man in a giant truck pushes him off uh the pier because they were right by the river and like they push him in his car and he's like trapped but then like two scuba guys retrieve him but then we cut to his funeral and he's dead but then we cut to a hospital, and he's not dead. He has had some, his mustache shaved. They say he has plastic surgery, but I didn't notice his face looking that different. But whatever. Um, they changed his face, and they, this mysterious man who's the one who pushed him off the, uh, off the, the ledge into the, to the river, he is part of this mysterious organi organization called Cure, which are apparently assassins for the president. And Fred Ward has been uh, recruited and given a new identity. He is now Remo Williams, which the guy gets the names off of, two names off the bottom of his bedpan. So, you know, that's a funny joke. And so now he's going to be an assassin, uh, and he has to be trained by uh, this supposed Korean uh martial art master named chion and the whole movie is mostly a training thing and like interspersed with like because wilford brimley is like the leader of this little group and it, we see like in between the training we see like interspersed cuts of wilford brimley learning about some military weapons manufacturer who's like the bad guy that remo has to take out eventually but the training is the main part of the movie, and it's weird. So he's being trained by uh, Chion, which is like, he's kind of like the stereotypical, like, old 
mystical Asian guy uh, training him in this martial art. And I can't remember the name of it. It starts with an S. Sinanju, which I believe was made up <laughs> by the writer of the books that these are based on. This is based off of. And it's a lot of like climbing and teaching him to be light on his feet. Like there's a part where he runs. It's like weirdly mystical. Like he runs so light on the beach that he doesn't leave footprints in the sand. And I thought something was weird about Cheon this entire time. Uh, like, they say he's an old Korean man, or he says he doesn't... No, they do say he's from Korea, but he doesn't, like, look Korean. And I didn't catch it until I was reading the Wikipedia. It's because he's not Korean. It was a fucking white guy <laughs> named Joel Gray that they put in this makeup. Uh, and yeah, I just didn't... I didn't catch it. I knew something was off. Something felt weird, but, uh, but yeah, if you can get past that very, very weird race stuff, there's, like, a kind of delightful movie in here of just him training and, like, climbing all over Ferris wheels and shit, and, uh, there's a thrilling sequence where he's at the Statue of Liberty, and this is, like, apparently at a time where they're restoring something on the Statue of Liberty, so it's surrounded by scaffolding, and the bad guys hire three construction workers to kill uh fred ward and he like they're just paid off by like the main henchmen which for three normal uh construction workers they are way too uh gung-ho about killing this guy that they don't know uh but you know there's a lot of like jumping around the scaffolding and balancing on poles and shit i don't know it's fun i think i also enjoyed this a lot because i do really like fred ward there's something it's because when we and Dexter were kids, we used to watch Tremors and Tremors 2 a lot, and like, you know, both of those movies rule, but Fred Ward, because you know, Fred Ward and Kevin Bacon are leads in the first one, and uh, but then the second one is about how like, Kevin Bacon's character has taken like, the fame of being involved with the Graboids incident, and like, spun it off into like a, into riches, while Fred Ward is kind of left behind left in the dust and he just has like an ostrich farm he's like struggling and he like you know so like i've always felt uh i want to say a connection i don't know the right word but it's just you know like kevin bacon left us but fred ward he stayed with us like we're still here we're still going through the shit together you know so like anytime i see fred ward i kind of feel like it's like seeing an old friend and he's also just such a he just has like a good man face like he's just a man just a good old like fucking uh american man it's also a fucking crime that we haven't had a movie or a show or something where Fred Ward plays John Barenthal's dad. It's such a layup. I don't know why that hasn't happened yet. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's a weird movie. It's fun. Apparently it was supposed to be like kind of a beginning of a American like blue collar James Bond uh, franchise. Like it was produced by Orion who did some of the Bond stuff and like the director is Guy Hamilton who did who did Goldfinger he directed Goldfinger and fucking Diamonds Are Forever and Live and Let Die and Man with the Golden Gun and it was written by um Christopher Wood who uh who adapted The Spy Who Loved Me and Moonraker for for their screenplays because these are also this is based off of some long-running book series called The Destroyer and apparently they didn't call this movie The Destroyer because of the Destroyer character in Marvel Comics I don't know uh but yeah um Remo Williams, uh, The Adventure Begins. I'll also give this a 3.5. It, it was a, it was a fun little watch. Yeah. All right. That's enough for today. We'll, we'll see you tomorrow. Okay. Hey guys, it is Tuesday. No, Monday. <laughs> Didn't do much today. Uh, only left the house to go for a walk. Really? 
It's cold. 54 degrees right now. I think the cold is like affecting my joints and shit. It's the first time I've noticed that. Or maybe my body is just more of a recon. I'm looking for something else to blame it on. Uh, it's supposed to like rain. We're supposed to have a pretty bad storm coming. I think it was already supposed to start raining, but it hasn't. So we'll see how bad it actually gets. I like purposely parked my car in a spot where I don't have to move it uh, until Friday so that I don't have to go outside at all tomorrow if I don't want to. But anyways, today's movie, I watched uh, Prancer from 1989. Uh, Curse this movie, obviously. Uh, I watched this because my mom suggested it. It's funny how like memory works because when we were talking about it, first she said that this was like her, one of her favorites when she was younger and she thought it had come out. I don't know if she thought it was like when she was a kid, but we realized pretty quickly when we were talking about it that it came out, uh, according to Wikipedia, it comes out, it came out November 17th, 1989, which was just a, a month after I was born, which means my mom was 28. Weird. And uh, it's a fine Christmas movie. It's, uh, you know, kind of bland. It's predictable. I like knew the ending as soon as it started, pretty much. Uh, but it's still, like, it's an okay ride. It's basically, it's about this girl who really believes in Santa and Christmas, but, like, her home life is hard right now. Her mom died. Her dad, played by Sam Elliott, uh, is having a rough go of it, trying to figure out how to make everything work. And then, like, at school, her best friend, like, says she doesn't believe in Santa anymore, and then, like, insinuates that, like, and then... Our main girl gets, like, all upset because, well, if Santa doesn't really mean you don't believe in God, and if God is real, that means there's no heaven. And then the little girl's like, oh, maybe not. And then <laughs> our main girl gets really mad because if there's no heaven, that means her mom is uh, not in heaven. Uh, and then she uh, keeps, like, having close calls with this reindeer until eventually they find she like finds the reindeer and it's hurt and she like brings it to her cabin to like nurse it to health and she hides it from her dad because Sam Elliott had already gotten mad about it and then like she's like nursing it back to health she tries to like give a letter to Santa to tell Santa that she's nursing she gives a letter to the mall Santa to give to the real Santa to say that she's a uh, nursing Prancer back to health and he can come get him like the night before Christmas or something I don't know and but then the Santa like gives the letter to a journalist for some reason and then this journalist without like consulting the family or the little girl decides to write about it in the paper and does a spin on the uh yes Virginia yes Virginia there is a Santa Claus uh that famous article from like way back in the day and then he writes a article called yes Santa there are virginia's in the world about how this girl like believes so hard in santa that she's like helping a reindeer that was hurt which of course leads to like the town getting all in a frenzy but the girl doesn't want any attention drawn to it but then her dad like sells the reindeer to the local christmas tree lot and they put it like in a small pen i'm just fully explaining the movie at this point i didn't mean to do this uh and then like the girl's like all upset about stuff still and she still like wants to run away with prancer so she goes and her brother like helps her the brother's funny he's like a little 80s kid and he has like a little earring of like it's like midway up his ear and it's like a little ear cuff it's a funny uh surprise his sam elliott cowboy dad let him have that um so they go try to like rescue prancer and she like opens the top of the cage and says like no he'll fly out but then he doesn't fly out and she gets hurt when she falls off so she gets disillusioned <laughs> and then um the whole town like comes to their fucking place and to cheer her up on christmas eve and 
her dad buys back Prancer and they go and like let Prancer out in the woods because he's healed now and they follow him and they get to a cliff and like his tracks just go off the edge of the cliff and the director originally um wanted to leave it there and leave it like up to the viewers minds to believe whether or not Prancer actually flew off the cliff and joined Santa and the rest of the reindeer or if he just fell off the cliff and died um but the studio wanted a more definite uplifting answer so they do like a little animated sequence just like a silhouette of santa and his sleigh and then like a shooting star hits it and then like the another reindeer appears which apparently the director asserts is all happening in the little girl's head so uh that's a kind of disturbing way to look at it but you know, so pretty basic uh, Christmas movie. I did uh, look at my phone and computer for a lot of this movie, but I don't feel like I missed anything. <laughs> and But like the actors, the, the kid actors were pretty good. Like the little girl and her friend, those two, I thought they were actually pretty good for child actors. And, uh, and you know, and you got Sam Elliott and he, he's doing a fine performance and it's always nice to hear his voice. Uh, so... Uh, I'll, I'll give Prancer three stars. It's a, it's a fine Christmas movie. And I didn't do my uh, action movie today because I got caught up. I was reading the iZombie Omnibus, which, you know, real missed opportunity not labeling that the iZombibus. Um, but it, it's a fun read. But yeah, it's 11. I might throw on the next of my Action Boys backlog is uh, Speed. So maybe I'll turn that on and fall asleep to it. But I wanted to record this before I did that. So yeah, anyways, that's enough for today. We'll see you tomorrow. Okay, hey guys. It is Tuesday. It's fucking freezing. <laughs> it's uh, 42 degrees right now. Way too cold for Los Angeles. Um, so yeah, naturally, stayed in most of the day. I did go for a walk. Uh... Didn't do much else today. So anyways, fuck it. Let's get into today's movies. Uh, first, we watched, me and Dexter watched The Amazing Spider-Man 2 from 2014. Uh, continue our getting ready for Spider-Man No Way Home next week. Uh, and this is fine. It's a, it's a fun enough movie. There's some cool stuff in here. I feel like, I feel like they really nailed the characterization of like Peter and Spidey, but then everything else just kind of either falls flat or just feels weird. Like the story is lacking. All the villains are very weird. Like I don't like the take on the rhino with Paul Giamatti just playing a very <laughs> stereotypical, uh, like Russian guy doing this hammy accent and uh putting him in like a mech suit at the end instead of him being just a big russian guy with a rhino suit on jamie fox's uh electro is also really weird like making him this like horrifically socially awkward nerd who works at oscorp but like everyone still treats him like shit and he becomes like obsessed with spider-man and all he cares about is like people knowing his name like, it's not even, I don't know, it's just so, like, one-dimensional and just, like, kind of cringy and boring. Uh, and then, like, Green Goblin, I kind of like Dane DeHaan as Harry because he is, like, kind of a weirdo, like, a fun weirdo to watch with, like, a little bit of a dark streak. But then when he finally becomes Goblin and he, like, literally turns into a little goblin because of the serum, uh, just, uh, it just looks uh, bad, <laughs> and, uh, isn't, like, actually scary, it's just kind of weird and disappointing, um, Gwen is fine in this, uh, Emma Stone is Gwen Stacy, though they're, like, on and off relationship is just kind of whatever, the way they handle the, uh, her death, uh, 
spoilers, whatever, um, is funny because it's like, if you know what happens in a comic from, you know, the seventies, fucking, uh, Gwen Stacy dies whenever Green Goblin throws her off the bridge, the Brooklyn bridge, I think it's the Brooklyn bridge, like throws her off the bridge and then Peter tries to like catch her with the web, but it like grabs her ankle and then her neck snaps from like the force of being stopped by the web. So they try to like fake you out <laughs> with it so many times. Like first I'm having Peter and Gwen like meet on top of the bridge or like embrace on top of the bridge or whatever towards the end. And then like Electro, the Electro fight happens and make it through the Electro fight. And then Green Goblin shows up and like drops her once. Peter saves her. They fight. She falls again. Peter catches her <laughs> with the web. Uh, the fight causes the web to be coming. Then she falls again for like the last time. And the way they like do her death is brutal, but it looks good. Um, so yeah, just like a fine movie, but, uh, like I said, I do really enjoy Andrew Garfield as Peter and Spidey, and I really liked his uh, portrayal and the way they did the character. Oh, there's also the whole subplot about his dad and, like, the science and thing. I don't know. It's just unfortunate that most of the rest falls flat. But I like Peter enough, so I'm still going to give Amazing Spider-Man 2 uh, 3.5 stars. And then... Uh, for our Christmas movie, I figured since yesterday's Christmas movie was really Christmas, I can get away with uh, just a secret Christmas movie today. I watched um, The French Connection from 1971. I also got this. I got the DVD from the library because it's, I think it's supposed to be next week's Action Boys uh, podcast review. And some other stuff that I ordered from the library is there so i wanted to be able to bring this back tomorrow so that's why i watched it tonight i don't need to explain that but yeah so french connection it's about some new york cops trying to solve a or bust a big heroin deal that's going down between some italian guys and some french guys and that's why it's called the french connection because it's the heroin's coming from france and uh it's a it's a christmas movie because in the opening scene well the opening scene's like some french guy getting assassinated and i guess he was the head of a heroin thing but the first scene in uh new york uh first word you hear are merry christmas and it's gene hackman dressed as a santa uh on the street talking to some kids in front of a bar where he's like keeping an eye on something that's going down and then once he starts singing jingle bells that's the cue to his partner who is uh pretending to be a hot dog vendor to go in and bust up this uh drug deal that's happening and then they like chase him down and then you get to see gene hackman uh a racist alcoholic cop in this movie beat up beat up a black guy for a minor drug crime uh you know really get you in the christmas spirit uh yeah, and then, like, after they do this, they go to a bar, and they end up seeing these guys, they end up following this one guy, and they're, he's like this, he turns out to just be like this, uh, Italian guy, Salvatore Boca, who owns a little deli, but for some reason he also has, like, a really nice car and goes out to, like, fancy nightclubs, uh, so they're suspicious of him, and they stake him out, and then they find out about the whole, uh, the drug deal and the French, and that's, like, the whole rest of the movie, it's just them, like, trying to take this down, and there's, like, some really tense and good chases. Uh, like, there's one where uh, Hackman is on foot tailing the head French guy, but the French guy, like, makes him, and it tries to evade him, so it's a lot of, like, back and forth and, like, on a subway, like, getting on the subway and off the subway, like, back and forth and trying to not let the other know that they're onto them. It's uh, it's good. And then, like, the famous uh, car chase scene in this where one of the french guys decides to like try and assassinate gene hackman but it doesn't work and he chases him and he ch chases the guy up onto a train but the train pulls away 
and so Gene Hackman, it's an elevated train this time. Uh, so Gene Hackman like runs down the stairs and like takes somebody's car and is following the train in the car. Uh, and it's pretty cool. It's a it's a cool chase. It's not as I'm sure it was much more impressive at the time. I think in like the Wikipedia because of this came out after Bullet. In the Wikipedia, they uh, someone tried to say that this is better than the one in Bullet. I don't think so. I think the Bullet Chase is more entertaining, but this is still pretty cool. And yeah, it's a uh, you know it plays out like a fucking it plays out more like a cop actual cop story feels like because this is based on a real case. Like there's no like big uh, cathartic ending and there's some like screw ups along the way. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. It's good. It's a lot grittier and like grimier than I was expecting. You know, uh, and I totally get why this won all the awards and like why people would love this movie, but it just didn't quite like grab me. It's still good, but it wasn't like it didn't blow me away. You know, anyways, French Connection, good time. Uh, 3.5 stars for this too. Kind of doesn't feel right that both these movies got the same rating, but I feel like they took different paths to get there. And I had about the same amount of enjoyment from from either. So whatever, I don't need to justify it. Um, <laughs> uh, that's it for today. We'll we'll see you tomorrow. Okay, hey guys, it's Wednesday. Uh, still fucking cold. Uh, what I do today? I went to the comic book shop, got all my books. That was nice. Went to the library and got even more books. <laughs> and a DVD, uh, not for any Christmas movies, it's for a, or even an Action Boys movie, it's for a Throwdown by Johnny Toe, that'll probably, I'll have to watch sometime in the next week, probably in next week's episode, got that to look forward to, uh, I also got this comic, uh, by this guy, Graham Chafee, I assume that's how you say his name, I follow him on Instagram because he's a tattoo artist in town, uh, and I like his style, but then it turns out, like, through following him, I found out that he's done, like, crime comics for Fantagraphics and stuff. And so I'm going to read his comic and see how I feel. Because I feel like he might be the choice. Because right now my, like, main idea for uh, <laughs> getting a tattoo to commemorate this year in this project uh, is to get a Mr. Majestic tattoo. And I think that he would be a good choice, like, you know, Charles Bronson drawn in that, like, noir comic style maybe with the word balloon uh i don't know what uh quote to use just yet i kind of want to use the one where he says you're saying i broke that toilet and like a drawing of him holding a gun i think that'd be pretty funny it would be cool to get his truck in there too but then it might be a little busy anyways so that's why i got that comic from the library i'm excited to read it uh anyways today's movies uh i did two movies today i started them kind of late it's like one right now uh i'm tired uh, but first movie from the Action Boys backlog, I watched Speed from 1994. Uh, you know, action thriller by Jean Dubont, starring Keanu Reeves, Dennis Hopper, Sandra Bullock, fucking Joe Morton, and Jeff Daniels. Uh, and Speed? Speed is one of those movies that, like, I think I just assumed I saw when I was a kid because it's, like, it was so in the, like, zeitgeist. Like, it was just such a big movie and everybody would talk about it you see references to it everywhere uh but like in watching it this time i don't know if i've ever actually watched it definitely not while a conscious cognizant adult maybe once as a very little child of course to me anything <laughs> when i was a very little child means like 12 or younger uh there's like a weird mental break i have because we moved to Kauai when i was 12 it's just so much harder for me to remember anything from before we moved to hawaii it's weird. Anyways, uh, Speed. It fucking 
rules. <laughs> like, uh, it's such a good movie. It's like, it's, I don't know if this is like accurate to say, but I want to say it's like one of the most efficient movies I've seen, or it's the most effective. Maybe effective is the right word. Because like, I was immediately just in it. I was on the edge of my seat from the, like the first elevator scene and then like trying to figure out how to get those people out the elevator. That got me pumped. And then everything leading up to the uh, to the bus, I was just like, you know, I would tense up at everything and just get excited. I'm like, oh, no, don't do that or do that. You know, like that kind of I was like in it. <laughs> um, and for most of the movie, it does a really good job of of heightening in like a way that seems pretty plausible and believable so you don't get like taken out of it until the the end there's like a few too many twists or like turns i guess at the end uh but like everything that leads to you know like the guy ends up not being dead and then he gets like the bus blown up like the first bus gets blown up by him and then the call and then getting into the car to like get on the bus and like talking to the driver to like convince him to let him get on the bus and everything and then fucking jumping on the bus and the one guy on the bus thinking that it's like he's coming after him and when they get jostled he like fires off around and shoots that bus driver whatever i'm not gonna keep going there's a lot in this movie um but yeah like especially everything on the bus works up until like uh they finally you know they get off and it's it's funny when you remember this movie i felt like it was just a bus uh didn't remember the elevator at the beginning or the subway sequence at the end well i didn't remember because i didn't watch it but nobody talks about that uh for good reason it's not the best part of the movie which yeah so i guess i'll just say it now because it like drive my point like i'm, I'm gonna give speed 4.5 stars just because like those last few uh moments like them getting on the him putting the bomb vest on sandra bullock and then getting on the subway train and then he kills the subway conductor but leads to like them not like destroying the emergency shutoff switch so that they can't stop uh the way to, uh keanu takes out the bad guy pretty cool uh and you know then they can't stop it and then leads to him having to speed up the train now and then jump the train off the tracks and leaves it launching out onto hollywood boulevard pretty cool but like by that point it's like everything's been so heightened that it's hard to like care more than i was caring before and especially like you know it's gonna end fine at this point but honestly that's like a minor complaint in the grand scheme of this movie everything about it rules so hard a lot of good characters in this too the best acting <laughs> like keanu doesn't always have the best delivery but that's fine we love him and some of the extras on the bus uh aren't the best but they do a good job of like making you care about all these like like this random assortment of people on the bus and like sandra bullock's great in this i liked her like you immediately care about her and like how she's friends with the bus driver and he seems like a nice guy too so you like care about what happens to them uh so yeah it's just an extremely solid good and fun movie speed 4.5 stars yeah and then for our christmas movie today since it was already like past 10 or maybe it was like 11 when i started it i wanted something uh light i didn't have to pay too much attention to um so i watched santa with muscles from 1996 with hulk hogan and like a weird cast of like a lot of people you you know like fucking clint howard's in this uh garrett morris who he's a guy if you look him up you'll know who i'm talking about uh who's on saturday night live and a bunch of you know the jeffersons and shit you know um uh adam wiley recognize that guy's face fucking uh ed bagley jr uh brenda song is in a small part and then weird like the weirdest one is or ones the pairing is mila kunis plays uh one of the little girls at the orphanage and then don stark 
is in this, and he plays Donna's dad in that 70s show. It's so weird. This movie's in 1996, and just two years later, uh, they're both going to be on that 70s show. Anyways, um, uh, this is a stupid movie. Very dumb. Uh, so Hulk Hogan plays uh, like a fitness guru who like sells protein powder and shit and he like they like cartoonishly establish that he doesn't care about anyone because he's always attacking his assistants and like he has these rules and like all the rules about only caring for yourself and then they start like a paintball game and that le- the paintball game involves them just driving recklessly on the streets and like motorcycles and hummers and eventually the cops start chasing them and uh so hogan decides to hide from the cops in the mall and he puts on a santa outfit but then he hits his head in the Santa outfit, and he can't remember who he is, so he, uh, uh, Donna's dad is, like, an elf for the Santa display or whatever at the mall, and he sees Hulk Hogan, who's like, oh, yeah, I can use this Santa, because someone had said that, or the woman running the mall Santa thing said, I'll give 50 bucks to the person who can find Santa, and then he also, like, takes Santa's wallet, Santa, (laughs) Hulk Hogan's wallet, and, like, knows who he is, and, like, takes his money, but then he just convinces this guy who hit his head so hard that he now has amnesia, that he's actually Santa, and then we have, like, a cute scene of Hulk Hogan, uh, fucking, you know, asking kids what they want for Christmas, but then they notice some kids, like, stealing from a charity stand at the mall so santa beats them up and everybody cheers <laughs> watching uh our santa with muscles beat up some uh teenagers there's a really nice moment though after he beats them up where he asks the kids like now who wants to help santa clean and they're all excited to clean it's cute uh and then he gets for he sees a sign about the orphanage and he gets drawn to this orphanage where mila kunis and uh some other uh, people are and fucking the orphan the orphanage is in trouble because the bad guy uh ebenezer or no ebner frost played by ed bagley jr is like he wants to own the orphanage for some reason and we find out it's because there's electric crystals under it uh i don't know and there's just a lot of like hogan bonding with these kids and stuff and we all know uh hulk hogan sucks <laughs> and uh he's not a good dude. But in this movie, he's a lot more charming than I thought he was going to be. I like a lot of his del- his line delivery in this. I can't. He reminds me of someone. Like, I almost want to say that he's reminding me of the charm of, like, Arnold's delivery. But I don't know if that's the right uh, comparison. But yeah, he's just weirdly... He, he comes off as, like, very innocent <laughs> during all the Santa stuff. And it works. I don't know. It's nice. Um, and yeah, I don't know, and Ed Begley Jr.'s, like, bad guy, it's all cartoonish shit, he's, like, has a lair in a house with a bunch of, like, screens and shit, and he, like, is scared of germs, and his, like, minions are all, like, weird, supposed to be, like, weird scientists, like, an evil (laughs) geologist and an evil chemist and an evil electro-scientist, which is just a woman who shoots, like, that rotoscoped lightning out at everyone, which is kind of cool, uh, and then, like, a sniveling henchman called Dr. Blight, uh, it's a, it's a big, stupid cartoon of a movie, um, Clint Howard is a bumbling cop who gets his car blown up with a bazooka, so that's fun. There's also a good gag, uh, that I liked where later he drives the blown up car and has like no frame, no body on it anymore. It's just a chassis with an engine. And when he drives up, <laughs> the windshield wipers are still attached and they're going, even though there's no windshield. I thought that was funny. Um, yeah. So Santa with muscles, uh, very stupid, but 
weirdly pretty charming and cute. So uh, I'll, I'll give it three stars. I can understand giving it one or two. But if you want cute, silly Christmas stuff, this is this is the place to go for it. Uh, and yeah, uh, that's it for today. We'll, we'll see you tomorrow. Okay, hey guys. It is Thursday, last day of our week. Um, it was an okay day. Just uh, went to the grocery store. Nothing too exciting. Um, yeah, fuck it. I can't think of anything else I want to talk about. So let's just jump into the movies. Uh, first up, our action movie, uh, which also ended up being a secret Christmas movie. I watched Cobra from 1986 uh, with Sylvester Stallone, directed by uh, George P. Cosmatos, Cosmatos, however you say it, with Bridget Nilsson and Brian Thompson, and this movie, this movie is one of the most unhinged things I've ever seen. Like, the first opening sequence, like, we start out with narration of Sylvester Stallone, like, reading off, like, statistics about how bad crime is in America in 1986. Like, there's a robbery every two seconds, there's an armed robbery every six seconds, there's a murder every 25 seconds, and then there's 250 rapes a year, which... I feel like that rapes number is wrong. That has to be wrong, right? There's got to be, um, sadly, way more. Even, like, reported rapes has to be. Anyways, <laughs> um, so he's saying this, and there's shots of, like, him being cool, and then of, like, this gang that we'll come to know. They're, like, the night, it's, like, the night slasher and his, like, New World Order gang. We'll learn this way later in the movie. But they're, like, a gang of people who believe in like social darwinism and they're killing the weak and uh <laughs> but like all their meetings just involve them like meeting in a warehouse with a red light on and they bang axes over their heads while like standing in an empty pool it's very weird and then we jump to a supermarket like kind of on the outskirts of la um and it's great the supermarket has like christmas decorations of says like season's greetings and it's painted on the window and all that and then this guy comes into the supermarket with a shotgun and just starts blowing up the melons and then taking people hostage. He kills one guy as he, like, runs down the Christmas decoration aisle. And, and then the cops, like, don't know how to deal with this guy. He's, like, it's too much for them to handle. And they say, call in Cobra. And Stallone pulls up in his 1950 uh, Mercury that's all souped up to be a hot rod. And he goes in to, like, take this guy out. <laughs> and it's just, uh, he, like, kind of sneaks around and, like, throws a fucking can of cores to uh distract him and eventually uh there's a lot of product placement in this movie it's funny um and then he has like an exchange with this guy and he's like you're the disease and i'm the cure and like i don't deal with psychos and all this stuff whatever he kills the guy uh and then like cobra like they think this happens and then there's like the night slasher that people are talking about in the news and um the cops think it's just one guy but cobra is starting to believe it's like multiple guys like it's a whole cult or an army or whatever and he's right uh and then somehow they end up having to protect brigitte nielsen brigitte nielsen like witnesses one of their crimes doesn't even really witness it she just kind of drives by and then like one of them looks at it weird and she wouldn't have thought a second thing about it if they would have just like let her go but then they kind of freak out and start chasing her and they try to kill her and then sylvester stone has to like protect her or whatever i've already forgotten most of this movie uh i can't do a <laughs> a recap on my own I'm realizing. But yeah, it's just a very weird and like all the everything's so over the top and like ridiculous. It's it's very much like Invasion USA because this is also a canon movie, so it makes sense. But this is like unhinged in a weird way, um, in a different way. Uh, on on the Action Boys, 
uh, review of this. They say it's like almost like an art action movie, and I kind of agree. There's a lot of like really strange choices in here. I think a lot of that's due to like Stallone just being such a fucking magnificent weirdo. <laughs> Though it's on the IMDb trivia, like everything involving him on this set makes him sound like the worst asshole when they were making this movie, which is kind of sad. Um, and also in line with this being like the most one of the most unhinged movies, uh, it also has one of the weirdest fucking imdb trivia entries i've ever seen so towards the end of this movie like the town that they try to bring brigitte nielsen to like uh protect her is like a found he calls it a foundry town so our final set piece is like uh, a steel mill foundry whatever but before that they go through a lemon farm and on imdb it says that this uh is has the most lemons in one shot of any movie which i don't uh Maybe there was a shot that I missed of a bunch of lemons. That I, do, I do remember them going through like a grove. Um, but because it has the shot with the most lemons, this is now a favorite Christmas movie in the citrus community. Which I want to, I need, I need a citation for this. I need to know who the citrus community is. Like, it's just, <laughs> I just can't imagine like a group of citrus farmers. Like every year they sit down to watch Cobra together and then they cheer whenever they see the lemons, you know, having their little lemon party. I can't, <laughs> uh, it's so weird. I need, I need to know more about that one specific IMDb, uh, entry. But yeah, I don't know. It's a good movie. Uh, I mean, it's a good, it's not a good it's a good movie. Uh, there's a lot of bad about it, but it's very enjoyable. Stallone, great delivery on all his lines. Very weird. There's a lot of food talking on this. It's like a lot of like talking about health food. Like his partner is always like talking about junk food and like Stallone like has a lot of lines about like what he should be eating instead of junk food. Like, yeah, you prunes. You should eat some prunes. And we smell like fish on rice. That's good for you. It's weird. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. And the Christmas stuff, I like the, they never really acknowledge that it's Christmas, but they did put a lot of work into, uh, letting you know that it takes place around Christmas time. Like we didn't just have the store at the beginning. There's also decorations as they're driving around. There's Christmas trees in the office. There's even a part during a car chase whenever they blow through a, uh, um, like a parking gate, like a toll booth, and the guy in this toll booth is dressed as Santa. Uh, thought that was a nice touch. And yeah. So yeah, I'll I'll give Cobra uh three point five stars. It rules. Uh, definitely gonna go on the like rewatchable list because I'm sure every time I'll find a new weird thing to be amazed about. And also, I I gotta support the citrus citrus community. <laughs> and watch this every year i guess um and then our second movie uh i watched uh miracle on 34th street from 1947 uh good brother rax suggested i do this and I, i'm glad he did glad he like made me think about it because it's this is like a pretty big blind spot to fill i think and this is like a real classic that everybody talks about but that for some reason i just never watched uh and it's really good it's very sweet it's very well made uh you know we open up on the macy's thanksgiving day parade there's a guy walking around who looks like santa and he ends up like seeing that the santa they have hired is drunk so he talks to the woman organizing the parade who works for macy's and she like hires him instead which leads to him becoming santa at the store because he looks so good and then he like is helping people out talking to kids and suggesting they go to parents if they can't find the right president macy's to go somewhere else and all the parents love this and think macy's is great for fucking um being so nice and kind during christmas they like this policy and then at the same time like our guy 
Santa Chris Kringle like really believes he's Chris Kringle and who knows maybe he is uh this is a bad recap but and then like that's the whole movie is about like is this guy Santa is he not and then he gets uh in trouble with the Macy's house psychiatrist or employee evaluator which I guess is like proto HR I don't know he like the HR guy sucks and he like gets on Kringle's bad side by messing with this kid who is the janitor at Macy's and saying that he has all these problems. So Kringle gets mad and hits him on the head with a cane, which leads to them going to court. And then got a nice old-timey court scene. You know I'm a sucker for those. And all the court stuff is fun. We got the lawyer who's in love with the woman who hired Chris Kringle because they live next door to each other, like, representing him. I really like the, uh, the, like, plot device that they use or the, like, legal device or whatever he uses to prove that Chris Kringle is actually Santa because they need, like, a higher, a competent authority to, like, attest that he is Santa and just and since the little girl I'm jumping around all over the place uh the little girl who is the daughter of the woman who runs the store who this little girl doesn't believe anything because her mom raised her to uh only know the truth or whatever not to be all fanciful like other children because it only leads to heartbreak (laughs) and uh the girl like decides she wants to write a letter to Santa and then a guy at the post office sees that this letter to Santa is addressed to the courthouse and he has the idea of like hey we got all those bags of fucking Santa mail every year let's just unload them at the courthouse since this guy says he's Santa let's give him the letters which the lawyer then uses to say if the post office says he's Santa the post office is a government organization they don't lie and it's illegal for them to give mail to the wrong person so if they gave all the Santa mail to this person he must be Santa and the judge has to agree I think that's clever. I like that a lot. It's fun. Um, I just spoiled the whole movie. It's from 1947, though. I'm sure uh, most people know, even though I, I guess I didn't know. I knew there was like a trial. But anyways, it does a nice job of like everything that our Kris Kringle Santa does is like within the realm of possibility. He doesn't show any actual like superpowers or anything, but they still give you like just enough to believe like maybe he really is like the magic Santa, which is cool. I, I think they handled the whole thing really well. It's just a really well-made movie with a lot of great performances. Like, fucking, the guy that playing Santa, um, Edmund Gwynn, is, he is, like, a perfect representation of Santa. He's great. Uh, Maureen O'Hara as the mom. Doris Walker, she's great. Uh, John Payne as Fred Gailey, the lawyer. He's good, too. I'm just gonna say they're all good. Say their names and they're good. Natalie Wood as a little girl. She's very cute. She's very, um, she does a good job. <laughs> Whatever. It's just a, it's a good movie. It's very sweet. Um, it's just very well made. You know, it doesn't really get boring in any parts. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. And the version of court on HBO Max, like, it just looks really nice. The, the, like, what do you call it? The print or whatever. Um, so yeah, uh, Miracle on 34th Street, I'll give, I'm gonna give four stars. There's a part of me that wants to be like, uh, to give it five because i can't really think of any reason not to but it also like for a christmas movie and like sentimental it didn't like grab me enough to make me cry even though it is very good i feel like you need that emotional connection for it to be a true five star and also i I already feel bad enough giving four stars to something that makes macy's look this good (laughs) because i used to work at macy's macy's was my first job out of high school i was in the receiving dock i was Macy's the job I had the longest. I was there for fucking seven years total, I think. Because I also, I worked on the dock on Kauai, and then whenever I moved to Portland, I transferred to the downtown Portland Macy's. And man, that job was just, it was rough. Because I I worked for uh, my friend Dane, Dane and Thomas. I worked for their mom, Duena. 
Dwayne is great boss. She was, she was really good. But like everything else, like all the other departments suck to work with. Like we had to unload, I had to unload a 40 foot truck. No, usually it was a 20 foot. We had to unload a 20 foot truck every day. And there would just be like three or four of us maybe. Sometimes even less. So just a lot of like me being on a hot ass truck. which is like an oven, like throwing pack, uh, boxes down. The conveyor belt, when it was a Matson truck, they were floor loaded. So we had to cut them open on the them down the belt if it was a young brother's container then they were on pallets and then i had to use the fucking pallet jack and bring it down the ramp and like try to not smash myself against the wall man making cardboard bales all day uh taking just like taking clothes out of boxes and like knowing how to know which ones like you put the ink tag on which ones you didn't need the ink tag on it just it paid like shit but i stayed at it for so long because it was like i was on call technically and i could like work in the morning and then have certain days off to go to when I was going to community college. And then when I was working at the Luau in the evenings, I could work at Macy's in the morning, get off at three, have an hour or so, and then go to the Luau. So that was a pretty good setup. Looking back, like the actual work, like I hated it at the time. But like the actual work was fine enough. It wasn't bad, you know. Uh, it was easy. <laughs> and I was good at it. I'm really good at cutting open and breaking down card cardboard boxes, which is a skill that uh, people don't appreciate. There's no there's no time where you can like show people how good you are with a, bo a box cutter, <laughs> and they'll be impressed. Um, God, and then Christmas sucked. Yeah, like I remember having to like take the old uh, Believe mailbox out of storage and put that in the front of the store and like put up all the decorations and like yeah, so much more product coming in and unpacking Christmas ornaments. You'd end up just covered in glitter. Like in August, you had to like unpack <laughs> all these Christmas ornaments. The whole dock is just covered in glitter and stays covered in glitter for months. Oh, man. Brutal stuff. But, you know, I'd probably rather go back to that job than uh, fucking the Magic Castle. Man, especially if it was like... Because whenever I went to Portland, you would think since Portland's a bigger city than Kauai, the dock would be harder to work on. But like they would get just like one truck a week, maybe two. I could have done that whole fucking receiving department by myself. <laughs> but uh, we had like 10 people on the crew. It was so weird. I ended up, I was also like on call there. And when I got another job at a hotel, they like, so I'd only work on weekends. And I remember I got a bad <laughs> review from my boss there because I, since it was so easy, I just like didn't really do anything. And also I got in trouble for, uh, I didn't clean up the like loading docks on each. It was like a five story building with a store. And like, since I didn't like take care of those like stock rooms, but that was because on Kauai, we used to have like a grudge with the merchandising team. Like we fucking hated them. So we did it. We just threw product in the stock rooms and didn't like do anything else. That was their job. Stockroom is their domain. They take care of it. But apparently that was part of my duties <laughs> in Portland. And since I didn't clean it up, uh, I got in trouble. Whatever. I worked there like one day a week. Anyways, <laughs> I didn't I didn't mean to get into such a long tangent about what it was like to work at Macy's fucking six years ago, uh, right at the end of the this week's episode. Oh, one more thing before I sign off. One of the things about speed that I really liked, uh, I really liked there was a lot of like people working together, like everyone on the bus, like coming together to work. It's another thing that really made that movie like work emotionally for me. It's just nice to see like, you know, humanity helping each other, you know. Anyways, I just, I felt like I needed to get that last thought out. Um, and yeah, so, uh, that's it for this week of Consume and our Christmas movie chronicles. Uh, I've been Bert and Olivier at Birdzora on everything. If you have any, uh, questions, comments, or recommendations. And yeah, if there's any, like, 
uh, Christmas movies that you feel like I haven't seen for this last week, please recommend them to me. And also, since after next week, there's only one more episode, if there's like any movies that you feel like you would like to hear me review of any kind before this end, uh, let me know. It feels weird doing a call to action uh, for my... <laughs> 10 uh, estimated listeners according to uh, my podcast stats but yeah i don't know also if you have any thoughts about the podcast in general uh for my like final episode that you'd like to me to address or if you'd like to see it keep going and in what form because i'm still uh i'm still on the fence about that i still think i'm pretty much done after this year at least doing it this hard i have like kind of an idea of like a way less labor-intensive version of it but Anyways, that's enough for this week. We'll, we'll talk about that more in the next few weeks. Um, so yeah, it's time I disappear.